Welcome to A Canadian Investing in the U.S., a podcast and YouTube channel focused on Canadians buying real estate with host Glenn Sutherland. Welcome to another episode of A Canadian Investing in the U.S. This week, my guest is Shelly Hagen. Uh, Shelly, tell us a little bit about yourself. All right. Well, thank you very much, Glenn. Um, I am Shelly Hagen. I live in Calgary, Alberta at this particular point in time. I'm a real estate investor and I have been since 2001 and I started what I like to call my little adventure in real estate investing with my business partner and very good friend Carol McConaughey in Regina, Saskatchewan in Canada Mm -hmm. and uh, we used to work for the phone company both of us and in 2000 they offered a severance package and I had been planning to leave for a while and had looked at opportunities and every time I went to look then you know I got a promotion and got you know more responsibility and more money and so then I just was an enticement not to leave but finally this time it was like okay that's it it's time for me to go I need to go do something else and uh here we here we are yeah so I love your story because we had this we sort of had this chat already, but yes. uh, so where do we go from there? So you've left your job. What, what do you do next? Okay. So let me just kind of talk about how I first got started. And yeah, so I'd, I'd worked for the phone company for about 20 years. And uh, so had my business partner, Carol, Carol and I had worked together, uh, you know, a number of different capacities over time. And we both decided to take off. And I remember very distinctly, Uh, getting ready to go. And at first I hadn't told anyone that I was leaving. And then you start to tell a few people. And then I had to announce to my staff, I was, I was in a middle management position. I had 10 managers and like 180 employees in five locations. And so I needed to tell my staff that I was going and my friends from the office. And when I started telling people that I was going to be leaving, people were shocked. I was single, no husband, no kids, you know, so no other income really in my house at that time. Carol was similar. She lived, uh, she was, uh, was divorced. She lived on her own as well. And, and, you know, we both had very good jobs and people were surprised. And so people started asking me, well, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? And at first it was like, well, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. And I wasn't really telling them. And finally, Carol and I had decided we would look into real estate investing. It was an interest of mine for a long time and she had owned a rental property before. So we thought, well, let's, you know, take a look at this. And so then I started telling people that I was going to be a real estate investor and uh, they went, Oh, what is a real estate investor? And then it was like all these questions about what it was all about. And quite frankly, at the time, didn't really quite know what it was either because I had, uh, I had signed up for some training on real estate investing, but I hadn't taken the course yet. And I just really remember this one day, it was kind of a, a turning point for me when I was talking to the people at the office and they said to me, uh, you know, how are you going to do it? And I remember looking at them and going, you know what? I have absolutely no idea how I'm going to do this, but I trust that I'm going to figure it out. And I've since learned that, you know, I'll figure it out is the mantra for entrepreneurs because you don't know from one day to the next what's coming in the door. 
I have a large network. So do you, Glenn, you know, yeah. people all over North America. I know people all over the world. And um, you never know from one day to the next what exactly is coming in. And it may be something I want to work on. It may be something I don't. But maybe I know somebody who can help somebody with that. And so I just uh, really realized that it was really a, a test of faith that I had a really good career at the phone company. Loved my job over the years, had great opportunities, uh, probably 100,000 plus in training and development through that company during my career at the company. And I have very, very good friends and very good mem memories of working there. But it was time to go on and do something different. And um, I just needed to take a, a leap of faith in myself. And that really was what got me, you know, through the whole thing is that I never looked back. I just decided this is where I'm going. And that's where I was focusing. And it was like, what do I need to do today to help me get to the next step? And, you know, when you start to do things like be a entrepreneur and you want to quit your job and you have a bunch of really good friends that you worked with or family members, everybody, you know, isn't always as supportive <laughs> of you and what you want to do as you're leaving. I'm sure yeah. you found that as well, right, Glenn? Yeah. <laughs> and, and you have these people that are naysayers. And, and what I realized is that people are afraid for you for, you know, they're afraid that you're going to go off and do something stupid, like leave a good job. It's, you know, pays good money and you're going to be broken, destitute before you know it. Um, but really a lot of cases they're afraid for themselves because they never took that opportunity to go off. And some people would like to, but because of, you know, family circumstances, they got kids and commitments with other family members they don't feel that they have the ability to just quit and go do something different and leave the security of that paycheck. And, uh, and sometimes they're just worried that you're going to do better than they are. And they might be a little jealous, even though they don't necessarily realize it or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I realized pretty quickly that I needed to only talk to the people that were going to be supportive of me. And there was a lot of people that were naysayers and people that weren't supporting. They're still really good friends of mine. Um, and I have some very good friends that I've known since I was like 10 years old. We're still really good friends. Our families are, uh, you know, have known each other forever. We're just very supportive of each other. But they don't support my business. They never ask me about it. They don't want to know anything about it. As a result, I don't share with them what's happening in my, my life and my business. I share certain parts of it. So you need to do that as a self-protection in some ways and surround yourself with people who are going in the same direction as you. They don't all have to be real estate investors, such as our case, Glenn, yeah. but they have to be people that are forward focused, that are interested in improving their lot in life and their situation and where they wanna go. And you need to surround yourself with those kind of people. And that's, I think, what really will make you be successful going forward. And you kind of have to leave some of those other people behind in different ways. Like I said, I have very good friends that, you know, are I'm still very good friends with, but they really are not part of my inner circle of people that I deal with 
in my business. And so you also need to be prepared to open your horizons a little bit, right? So when I first got into this business, uh, my business partner and I decided to start buying rental properties so that we could replace our income in a short period of time. And uh, we, you know, kind of just took off with the business and we had two mottos. And the first one was uh, fake it till you make it. Uh, (laughs) Because, you know, when you first start a new business, there's a whole bunch of new verbiage that comes along and language that you're not familiar with. And you just start, you just make lots of notes, write everything down, you know, um, keep track of it. And then you just tell the person, the customer that's phoning you who has a problem. Usually people have a problem looking for a solution and just say to them that, you know, you're going to check you and your partner are going to review it and you know, you'll get back to them. Set a time when you get back to them and get back to them in the time that you say you're going to. And then you go off and you go, okay, crap. Now what do I do? How do I figure out what this is all about? Because I have no idea. And then you just, you learn as you go. And it's like, you got to jump into the deep end and just start pedaling like crazy. And you'll be surprised how much you're going to learn in a very short period of time. And our second motto was go big or go home. And so we had two really good incomes that had to be replaced in a short period of time. Neither one of us had backup, you know, plans at home. It was just us on our own that had to do this. So uh, we went out and we started buying property as soon as we could. And uh, we truly bought properties with no money down. We had no money. I was leaving a good job. I had paid off a few bills before I left, but I still had mortgage and, uh, and you know, all those things on my property. Um, I had a little bit of RSPs or, you know, mutual funds and investments, but not a whole lot of money. And I certainly didn't want to take all that out and pay a bunch of tax on it. So we just jumped in and we each put in a couple thousand dollars for startup costs. Mm -hmm. And then we went out and worked on getting lines of credit and credit cards. We had good credit. And so uh, just not to stop you, but, um, wouldn't it have been easier to do that when you still had your job to get more credit? No, that is a really good question, <laughs> Glenn. <laughs> Here's the challenge. Uh, I didn't decide that I wanted to become start doing real estate investing until like August. Okay. And uh, we were done our jobs at the end of December. And we took our training the last week of November. (laughs) And I was actually done December 3rd, I think it was. Um, And so I had like a week to try to arrange credit. So I went and I started applying for some some stuff, but I was leaving my very good job and I couldn't get employment letters or anything. And so we took off and uh, we we had gotten a severance package. Yep. from the phone company and we decided to take a vacation because Carol and I had known each other for a long time but we had never done business together so we decided to go on vacation and see if we got along so it started off with a whole group of us friends of ours that were going to go and we were going to go for two weeks and then we thought well you know we're all unemployed none of us had jobs so let's maybe let's try for a month well then everyone yeah. just started dropping off Pretty soon it was just Carol and I, and we decided to go to the South Pacific. And uh, I'd been to Australia and New Zealand before, but I really wanted to go back and I wanted to go to Bali. 
And so she said, yeah, let's go do it. So we took off and went on vacation and we did spend a bunch of money. When we came home, uh, we realized that, you know, we got along well together. We decided, yeah, we're going to jump right in both feet, leap of faith, where we go. And we, when we came back, I had rented my house out. So I had this box of mail, literally this big, huge box. And I went out to stay at Carol's uh, place at Regina Beach uh, for a couple of nights till my tenants exited my house. And so we're sitting there and we're going through our mailboxes and um, there was all these credit card applications. And I said to her, well, we should start applying for somebody's credit cards because I had applied for a line of credit before I left and I had successfully got a line of credit, but we didn't have any rental properties. So we hadn't gotten any mortgages or anything. And so while I was sitting there, she gets a phone call and she starts talking away and she's telling her, no, she quit her job and all this kind of stuff. She hung up the phone and goes, well, that was easy. And I go, what do you mean? She goes, well, that was just an MBNA credit card. And they just gave me a $20,000 card. And I said, what? You just told them that you're unemployed. I I can't believe it. So I said, I've got a bunch of those applications in here. So I ripped them all out. We filled out all these cards and we started applying for credit. And so our focus was get out and find as many deals that we could that we could use seller financing, do some creative things. And we also worked steadily on getting uh, our access to a pool of funds. So within about three months, we had, between the two of us, we had access to about 260000 between lines of credit, credit cards, yeah. uh, unsecured, secured. And so we now had some buying power because yeah. at that time, the properties were way cheaper. And we started buying houses, cash off our credit cards and lines of credit, renovating them, refinancing them pulling all the money out, paying off the line of credit. We just did that over and over and over again. And then we had vendor take back and a few other different strategies that we were, used. Were these credit cards like uh, like on a special rate or were you playing the, the full interest rate? Like the 19%. <laughs> yes, that's yeah. What we were getting. That's yeah. Was, yeah, okay. I was just yeah. curious. Okay. All right. Yes, but we would get in and, and buy the house and be able to renovate it and, and – uh, refinance it within anywhere between four to six weeks on average. So we were paying very little interest really because we didn't have the money for very long. And as soon as we got the refine money, that credit card was paid off right away because we wanted to free up that money so we could use it for the next deal. Yeah. And so we did that over and over and over again. And within um, the rest of the year, we were able to buy 96 units between (laughs) Saskatchewan and Gatineau, Quebec. And we found a really... Sorry, how long a period was that? Well, it was actually from about March to December in 2001. Yeah. Yeah. We were buying like six to 10 houses a month. It was just wild. We'd go into the the lawyer's office and we'd have a pile of paper like this tall on the desk and we'd sign all these mortgages and all the paperwork, you know, assignment of rents and whatever that comes with the loans. And it would just move from one side to the other. And when we had originally met with our lawyer and he was talking about, you know, real estate investing and all this kind of stuff. And he goes, well, like how many houses are you girls thinking of buying? And he had just mentioned some investor who was a hard money lender that had 30 to 40 houses. And we went, well, you know, 30 to 40 houses is a good place to start. And we all kind of laughed. And I'm sure he thought we weren't <laughs> serious. 
And then a couple months later, he comes in, he goes, uh, yeah, you girls were quite serious that you wanted to buy, you know, 40 houses. And I go, yeah, this, you know, by that point in time, we, were, we had 48 in Regina, 48 units. And I said, and we're also buying in Gatineau, Quebec. And he goes, what? And so when we talked to him at the end of the year, he was shocked to find out we had bought 96 units. Cause I thought, I think he thought we'd each buy a house with a basement suite and, you know, kind of get things going. It was like, no, go big or go home <laughs> was the motto. And so I think the most we had at any given time was 115 units in Gatineau. And we've subsequently sold off a lot of the, those properties and bought some commercial properties and, and did a different, bunch of different things. So and we did, had. Did you uh, manage all these yourself? Like you were doing the property management too? In Regina, we were. Okay. We were doing that ourselves. It was difficult. We had bought low income housing because it was cheap and quick yep. and easy, and there were little cash cows, yep. but there were a lot of work. There were yep. a lot of work. And in Gatineau, we had bought higher end. Most of our tenants were middle income to high income tenants, uh, nicer, higher end properties, newer. And. Um, <clears throat> The challenge we had in Quebec was the taxes. We had um, the very first year we got a bill for $150,000 from Revenue Quebec. I had property there for like three or four months. And I said to, I phoned the lady at Revenue Quebec and I said to her, I'm not quite sure why I'm charged $150,000. Like I haven't even made $150,000 in income. Like, you know, that particular point in time, I'd made like a couple thousand bucks. Yeah. And I could never figure that out. It took me four years to get that bill down to 20,000, which to my knowledge should not have, I shouldn't have had a bill at all. My accountant couldn't seem to get it straightened out. It was, it was the weirdest thing. That's terrifying. And <laughs> it, it was terrifying actually. Yeah. And we chat, we had challenges with that through the whole time we owned the properties there. And we did eventually sell them because the taxes were higher than a lot of other places. Oh, yeah. Excuse me. So, um, so yeah, we decided to move on. Uh, right from the beginning, when we got into this business, we knew we wanted to invest in the United States, too, which is how Glenn and I met, is because yeah. uh, a friend of mine had met him through another uh, networking event and had referred us yeah. to you know meet each other. Um, we had decided... We wanted to do that right from the very beginning. I mean, we live in Canada, 36 million people, United States, 360 million. You know, there's a whole lot more houses down there than there are here in Canada. So it made sense to try to go down there. So we actually went down in the fall of 2002 and started looking around in Dallas, Fort Worth. And uh, we spent, uh, you know, the winter kind of there looking at deals and working on deals. And then, excuse me, then we went to Phoenix. And my business partner, Carol, had always wanted to live in the United States. And so we had established a relationship with some really good friends, and they helped her get a visa. And she currently lives in the United States at this particular point in time, uh, full time. Uh, So we've been investing now in Phoenix all along. I have invested in Detroit after when the crash came in 2008, 2009, um, I invested Detroit, Las Vegas. We did a little bit of work in um, uh, New Orleans after Katrina. Mm-hmm. 
Carol and I had been to Florida a couple of times and looked into Florida and decided against it because at that particular point in time, we decided we wanted to make life a little easier for ourselves. And to fly to Florida was like a, you know, an all day jaunt from Western Canada. And it was way easier to fly to Phoenix or even Las Vegas or someplace. So that's why we kind of centralized most of our investing now in Western Canada and the Western United States. So over time we sold off everything in, in Quebec and I've sold off the properties in Detroit. And, uh, you know, we just really focus now predominantly at this particular point in time in Phoenix. I do have uh, a partner who has, is actually on his way to Texas and we're looking to do some stuff in Texas. We've done, you know, stuff in Texas in the past. We're looking to maybe do a little bit of work down there as well. So, you know, it just depends on where life takes us from here is what we're going to do next. But uh, I am trying to make life a little easier on myself and not be kind of crazy running all over the place. Yeah. And so like I remember from our previous conversation, you were talking about, um, downsizing maybe some of the properties as you went through this because maybe you didn't need so many if we talk about why why would you do such a thing <laughs> well mostly when we sold off this the inventory in quebec um i took and i got into commercial property because i wanted to get rid of some of the smaller properties and go bigger yeah and so that's why we decided to to do that and I'm looking at some land development. And one of the things that Carol and I both have had interest in for a long time, we're still business partners. I do stuff on my own. She does stuff on her own. And we do stuff together. And uh, we both looked at uh, wanting to build or buy a mobile home park. Uh, her you know, father and sister, her father had built yeah. a mobile home park back in the early 70s. And her sister now owns it and runs it. And it's been kind of one of those things that's been the back of our, our mind for a long time. So we're looking to do some different bigger projects now yep. going forward, not necessarily so many small uh, properties. It's just part of evolution and get into private lending, etc. going forward. Yeah. So you said you were down there in like 2002 or 2003 and oh, you're right. still there. So you would have had to go through that whole fun crash down there. Oh my gosh, we went through the whole like peaks and valleys and yeah, all kinds of stuff went on. How did, we that went, af- how did that affect the whole portfolio? Well, when we went down there initially, we had um, our portfolio still in Canada. So we had income, which allowed us to go down and spend, you know, five to six months in the States yeah. working on our business down there. And when the crash came, certainly there was, you know, this unreal opportunity to come in and buy property at a very deep discount but prior to that we had been working on uh, opportunities down there and different deals and we had seen the property slowly start to go up we're mostly in the phoenix market and one year the properties just went crazy they went up a hundred thousand dollars in three months And we had seen the exact same thing happen here in Calgary in 2007, the year before the crash. In 2007, there had been a change in the leadership and the premier of the province. And the new premier had come in and wanted to change the royalty reviews. And in Alberta, because we're a strong oil and gas 
um, province. The royalties are what the oil companies and gas companies pay the government as a tax. Yep. So they wanted to, you know, possibly look at re uh, increasing those those uh, taxes. Well, the oil companies rebuttal was no we don't want to do this and instead of staying in alberta we're going to move to saskatchewan and british columbia which they did and that just happened to be around the time that there was a change in government in uh, saskatchewan and basically the doors were thrown open and said saskatchewan's open for business come on over and they did they left and our our uh, market here in early 2007 uh, collapsed or you know when really went down a lot and uh not to the same extent of what happened in 2008 2009 in the united states but property values in 2006 had gone up a hundred thousand dollars in three months and that was as soon as you start to see that kind of thing uh you really need to step back and take a good look what's happening because that is not the norm and the market cannot sustain that And it's a huge red flag. So you should stop buying and start hoarding your money to start buying when the downturn comes. And that's what happened in 2007. So the first and second quarter, 2006, crazy, crazy. And at the time, all of the newspapers and and news outlets were saying, you know, Alberta was the place to invest in the world. And we had a ton of investors that come in to this market and just flooded the market with spec properties and they were buying all these you know rental properties with the intent that you know everything was going to go up because it was just crazy and and, yeah. and we had been seeing a 10 to 20 percent appreciation for several years during the uh you know early 2000s and so people thought this was just going to never stop it was going to go forever well, nothing goes forever. There's a there's a cycle in real estate about every seven to 10 years. And you really need to be conscious of that. And people during that time in 2007 who didn't know about the real estate cycle and weren't paying attention to the red flags got caught big time. And so overnight, our market just got flooded with inventory. And then all the tenants panicked because all the prop- rental properties were, were for sale. So the tenants all moved out. So we had 40, 50% of the MLS listings were vacant and no one is getting any income. They were all rental properties and the tenants were moving. The landlords who had properties were desperate now because they were worried that they were going to, you know, they were going to have trouble filling them. So they reduced the rent. So rents went through the floor and all kinds of things happened. So we had seen that already happen in 2007. And then right behind it came the global financial crisis in 2008. But the same thing was happening in the United States in around that 2006 timeframe in Phoenix. Properties went up like crazy. We were, we were all worried about the bubble. All these people from California were refinancing their houses because they'd gone up so much in value, taking all their equity and coming to Phoenix and buying crazy houses. And at the time, the vacancy rate was 15%. So all these investors who were newbie investors bought all this property and couldn't rent them out. And then they couldn't afford them. They couldn't afford to pay the taxes. So they're losing their houses to back taxes or foreclosure. It was just kind of crazy. So that was 
um, an opportunity that you couldn't miss, you know, miss. It wasn't, it didn't come along every day. And you knew that it wasn't going to last forever. And the bottom came around the end of November of 2009. And we were actively buying during that time. And the property values had gone down, you know, less than 50%. The property values went down in Canada too, but they went back up. And we had a very strong uh, team between the prime minister, the finance minister, and the uh, chairman, uh, that's not the right word, of the Bank of Canada. And they really kept Canada afloat. And we were very, we were seen as good, strong place to invest. I'm not sure that we ride it out as well now, because a lot has changed between now and then. Uh, So you really need to be conscious of what's going on and watching and preparing yourself. When you see those kind of spikes go, then stop buying, start hoarding your money, wait for the downturn, because as it goes up, it's got to come down, and uh, get in and start buying when the property values go down so that you can take advantage of that upturn again at some point in time. So that's what we did in Phoenix. Uh, And now, of course, the property values are back up to where they were before and possibly in a lot of cases even higher than they were. And uh, so we got in, bought, held them for a number of years, and we've sold off a lot of those properties because we're waiting for the next curve. So, so for some of these properties, like you had properties coming into the, the crash, were, were you holding these in cash or did you have financing on these properties? We had financing on pretty much everything, yeah. But you had long enough financing that you didn't have to, you didn't have many refis coming during that period? No, we were okay in Canada during that time. And even um, in the States, like when you're going through 2008, you're still you're, then you're financing? In the, in the U.S., you couldn't get financing. Exactly. So that's what I was wondering, like, if you yeah. had financing on these properties, how did you did they just it you had long enough term that it didn't expire in the while there was no financing available? Uh, well, in the U.S., we got no financing. Oh, and still US, to you're this, doing cash. Okay. we're doing cash. Yeah, okay. so we brought in uh, joint venture partners, used our own cash where we could. Joint venture partners. I mean, there's private money yeah. that that probably has been the real catalyst. Um, with the whole global financial crisis is that the banks, of course, especially in the United States, got the huge buy, you know, handouts from the government to help keep them afloat. And, you know, they didn't necessarily manage it the way that the the government wanted them to do it. Right. No. And so, you know, as a result, then they, you know, turned uh, and changed a lot of their lending criteria. And it's very difficult uh, at that time, even for uh, people who were American citizens to get financing on revenue properties, it was just like such a big taboo. So what happened was the private lenders kind of took a look and went, Whew, well, here's an opportunity. So they yeah. stepped in and they took over a huge percentage of the market share. And as a result, they haven't gone away. They've gotten much better, bigger. And, you know, there's some that we worked with in Phoenix that, now are probably making three or four hundred million a year wow. being private lenders. They go in, they buy stuff at the foreclosure auction, they wholesale it to you know you to go yep. in yeah. and uh, flip it. They pay, give you all the money to do the fix and flip, and at the end you pay them their you know twelve, fourteen, or whatever percent to uh, do the deal. 
plus some points in the front and yeah points in the front exactly <laughs> yeah, they're, yeah they're making lots of money don't don't they're not being they're not going poor anywhere no for sure <laughs> and so as a result they're pretty entrenched now in that economy and uh the banks i think you know, the banks have looked and went wow you know we left that door open for those people to come in and they filled that gap and they're not going away they're they're going to try to continue to do that so you know, really, when you look at banking and what's happening now with cryptocurrency and things that are going on, um, the banking has changed and it's going to change dramatically, I think, going forward as well. It's not going to be the same for sure. And you can get financing now in the United States. Uh, if I have a portfolio of properties, they'll come in and do a portfolio loan, kind of a blanket mortgage for me, but it has to be probably over 500000 and um, they'll consider doing that at this particular point in time, but it's still very difficult to do, you know, the one house at a time kind of financing. Yeah, it, it all, it's like reverse financing. It's like, yes. if, it, if it's uh, if it's more expensive, it's easier to get a loan. If it's cheap, it's hard to get a loan. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's so like, what? <laughs> I know. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. Or the more units, right? If you got a fourplex and up, yeah. you can get something, but a single family home is very tough they're picky about what they want and they want to make sure they're going to make money on it and they don't make enough money on a single house a lot of times yes yeah and that's where they run into the problems you know with the foreclosures they ended up owning a lot of inventory and some of those banks are still sitting on inventory still right because they couldn't sell them all at one time oh. and so and for whatever reason they're waiting for them to go up in certain locations to so that they can make a little bit more money you'd think that they'd be selling them now like i don't know if there's any markets that are below the you know the pre for pre yeah recession time i think everything's sort of recovered so, yes i think in most cases i think yeah. some of the high high-end properties yeah maybe so i'm hearing you know there's still some someone i know was just had gotten not that long ago a package of million plus houses in some place in California, and they've been sitting vacant for years. Wow! So and they just the bank just parked them and been sitting on them, hoping for the appreciation to go back up. So, yeah. so you never know. That so anyway, yeah. so that's a little bit about kind of where I'm at, and and um, I still do you know rent to own, and I do a few things. I'm looking for some land development projects. I do training on how to invest in real estate and uh, I wholesale uh, a lot. I wholesale real estate, but I also wholesale commodities and I do uh, I help people with project funding. I used to be a mortgage broker for a while. Yep. So I help people with project funding. So lo and behold, I happen to have a lot of people right now looking for financing for hemp grow operations oh. you know shocking yeah. Yeah. <laughs> with what's going on in the market but yeah <laughs> uh, so i help try to help people wherever i can to connect people right so i'm a facilitator i facilitate into introductions and connect people together to help them and it's all about you know the more people you know the more deals you're going to do and the more money you're going to make and you start to, you know, we always talk about networking, networking, networking when I'm talking to my students and I'm training, but it's really, you know, having a big network, but how do you monetize that network? How do you make some money off of those relationships? Not taking advantage of people, 
but how do I work with you and help you get be successful in something you need? And are you willing to pay me for that introduction to facilitate that process for you? Yep. So, you know, I wholesale a lot of different types of things. And that's kind of what my business is about. And I do a lot of international business. I Right now, I probably do more business in the United States uh, than I do in Canada. Well, I know I definitely do more in the United States than Canada. And I do a lot of business uh, internationally as well. I have clients in London and and uh, Philippines and different places like that as well. So you just never know, getting back to being an entrepreneur, you know, I always say when the phone's ringing, that's business calling. And you never know what that business is till you pick up the phone and see what it is. And the more people you get to know, the more people are going to phone you and go, you know, hey, Shelley, do you happen to know somebody who can get me some sugar? Well, I, yeah, I do. I don't do that business, but I, I have a friend yeah. and I can, you know, I can connect you because I know people <laughs> and those people know other people. And uh, so it's, that's all it's really is about leveraging the relationships you have, the money you have, the credit you have, and all the other people that you know and how, having them help you build your business and you help them along the way too. Does that make Perfect. sense? That makes a lot of sense. And I think that perfectly segues right into our, our finish it. So if someone wanted to get a hold of you to, to talk to you, what would be the best way to do so? Uh, probably by texting or emailing me. Okay. I do use Facebook, but not it's not my uh, form of business communication. Yeah. Um, so you can I can be reached. I don't know. Do you want to me to post that someplace? Uh, sure. Or, yeah, whatever. You can uh, send me an email afterwards and I'll, I'll put it in the show notes. So if someone wants to get a hold okay. of you, they can do so. <laughs> okay, that'd be great. I'd love to talk to them. Uh, you never know what opportunities we can do together. And same with you, Glenn. You know, hopefully oh, there's we'll, something we'll we can chatting. do. We'll be okay. chatting. We'll be chatting. Thank you so much for your time. I, I I could sit here and do this story for hours and probe into yeah. this. This is like, this. this is the, it's so exciting that you, I mean, like just looking at my notes, like you leave your job, you need to replace your income, so you go on vacation, which seems crazy. Yeah, and then <laughs> exactly. and then you get a whole bunch of credit cards in order to be able to fund this stuff, <laughs> yeah. and then you go super big, go you know, right. go big or go home, and it's just like you know, like you put it all on the table, and I love it. I love yes. it. Like when I went down to the states to buy my first couple. I didn't have my corporate structure set up. I didn't have any. I just like, you know what? I'm doing it this this week. I'm going to buy properties. That's it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I'll figure it out afterwards how to get this fixed. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and that's just as an ending note here. When we got back from our vacation, right? We're yeah. sitting we're sitting at Carol's place going through our boxes of mail. And we had started working on our business plan when we were sitting in the rain one day under a palapa yeah, yeah. in uh, Bali. Uh-huh. And uh, so we're like working on our business plan and our goals and what we want to do and all this kind of stuff. And uh, we just uh, decided, you know, we just set up our corporation. So the next morning we picked up the phone and we phoned this group that we had done some training through. Mm-hmm. And so I phoned in the guy and we're talking to him and, we're saying how we want to set up this corporation. He goes, yeah, well, you need to take some training first. And, da, 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 da. and I went, but yeah, like we already done that. And yeah. uh, he goes, it is going on and on. And we go, no, no, like we want to set the 
the course of the company up today. And he goes, oh, like you're ready to go? We went, yeah. Like we just got back <laughs> from vacation. Like, let's go. Yeah. And literally the next day we went out and looked at a package of 10 houses. So not only do we just want to go look at one, let's go look at a package of 10, right? Yeah. <laughs> and that's what happened. We The very first house we bought we bought one and then after that we started looking at packages houses and we went we realized just as easy to buy 10 it is is to buy one if you got a motivated seller who's willing to do a vendor take back go for it don't just hold yourself back just jump in and both feed in over your head and you'll sink or swim and we both knew how to swim so off we went <laughs> you know kind of thing love it yeah. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I This is a great conversation. It's one of my favorite ones. Thanks right. so much. <laughs> well, thank you so much for inviting me, Glenn. I'm really glad we got a chance to uh, do this together.